Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, Welcome aboard. Vanadium, I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill's Office for Science and Society, and I chat with you every Sunday afternoon here. We talk about interesting things in the world of science, and boy, do we have an interesting show coming up for you. We're going to be speaking with Peter Gorman, who's an Amazon explorer, and he's going to tell us about his personal experience with uh, some fascinating drugs that are derived from plants and from a special frog in the Amazon. You'll want to hear that interview. Uh, Louis Pasteur, although his name is most commonly linked with the process of using heat to destroy bacteria, he had a remarkable diversity of interest from the chemistry of fermentation to a treatment for rabies from the three-dimensional structure of molecules to communicable diseases. Pasteur's interest in diseases was aroused in 1862 when it's called upon by the French silk industry to save it from a potentially catastrophic epidemic among silkworms. Although he had never worked with silkworms, he managed to trace the problem to a tiny parasite that infected the worms and the mulberry trees upon which they fed. Upon Pasteur's recommendation, the worms and their food supply were destroyed. A fresh start with new healthy worms led to a flourishing French silk industry. Through a peculiar sequence of events, this scientific rescue of the silk industry also led to the development of the first real commercial competitor for silk. That was Rayon. Count Hilaire de Chardonnay was an assistant to Pasteur during the silkworm saga. He became fascinated with the way silkworms spun their silk and thought that by understanding what the worm did, man should also be able to make the desired fiber. He never was able to duplicate silk, but did manage to produce the first commercial artificial silk. And that idea came by accident. Back in those days, a substance called collodion was commonly used to coat and protect photographic plates. This material, which was made by dissolving cotton treated with nitric acid in ether and alcohol, had been developed by Louis Menard in 1846. The transparent gelatinous liquid dried to hard colorless film, which was also popular as a dressing for cuts and burns. One day, when Chardonnay was working with his photographic plates, he accidentally spilled a bottle of collodion. He left the spill for a while, and when he began to clean it up with a cloth, he noted that long, silk-like filaments formed. His work with silkworms had, of course, prepared his mind for the discovery. Independently wealthy, Chardonnay spent the next six years working on his invention. He used the cellulose and mulberry leaves to make a nitrocellulose solution, which is squeezed through a showerhead-like device to produce thin filaments, which could be spun into fabric. This amazing Chardonnay silk, was exhibited at the Paris Exhibition in 1889, and its success resulted in immediate financial backing and commercial production by 1891 as rayon, named for its lustrous shine when hit by rays of light. The first rayons were highly flammable, and factory workers who produced it began to refer to the newfangled material by a less endearing name. They called it mother-in-law silk. Some of you will understand that. 
Okay, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Peter Gorman, journalist, uh, Amazon Explorer coming up, talking about uh, various uh, tree extracts, animal extracts that have physiological effects. Well, just to set that up, uh, Jonathan Jerry, my colleague, is here, and uh, herbs, uh, they don't only come from the jungle, they can come from the pharmacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I recently wrote about uh, these uh, famous herbal medicines uh, that are available in a variety of places, things like ginkgo, things uh, of that nature, ginseng, for example. And um, we've known for quite some time that what you buy out there in those little, uh, these little containers is not necessarily what's on the label. There are many examples of contamination, which is accidental, and there are examples of adulteration, where the person who is making the product is consciously replacing at least part, if not the entire product, with something else that looks like it. Um, and we know this because of various uh, scientific techniques that have been used uh, to uh, to test these, uh, these, these, uh, these, these tinctures and mixtures. And we now have a meta-analysis, so a study of all of those studies that have been done over the years uh, that has come to this one number, which is that 27% of herbal products worldwide that have been tested by scientists and reported on in the scientific literature have been shown to be adulterated or contaminated. So that's a little over a quarter. And those number, that number actually can vary uh, from place to place. So in North America, it's 33%. In Australia, it was a whopping 79%. Uh, and so just, you know, be, you, you have to be careful if you're buying these kinds of products uh, for which there's often no good evidence that they work. But on top of that, you may not be getting what you think you're getting. Uh, and there are cases, for example, of walnut contamination, right? So if you're allergic to walnuts, you might be taking this medicine not knowing that there are, there's walnut in there. Another type of adulteration, which is, is very serious, is when they put prescription drugs yeah, into a herbal supplement. because supplements. a lot of these herbal supplements are sold for impotence. And they work. And how do they work? Well, it's because they've been adulterated with actual Viagra. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> that happens. And some of the weight loss herbal supplements uh, are adulterated with drugs that have been banned in North America. Ephedrine. Ephedrine and not mm. banned in uh, Asia. Right. Which is where these products are manufactured. And sometimes they just uh, put these in because it keeps the customer coming back because it actually does have some physiological uh, activity. Exactly. And so when I was doing research on this, I, I, I found a very interesting point that was being made by, by a team of scientists, which was that you know sometimes you see these clinical trials on these herbal medicines, and they seem to work better than placebo. And so it's very easy for somebody who's selling you these things to show you, hey, look, here's a paper. This thing actually works. It's been tested. It may not be that the herb that is claimed to be inside that thing actually worked. It may be that it was adulterated and there might be an actual pharmaceutical drug in there. So even the studies that have been done, like unless they actually test uh, the contents of this herbal medicine before giving it to their participants, it may give you a false positive result. Right. And unfortunately, sometimes this casts a shadow on the potential of using real plant extracts as, as medicines, because as we know, uh, there are many, many compounds that are used in medicine today that originate from plant sources. Of course. Starting from, you know, digoxin that comes from the foxglove, and obviously morphine comes from the, the poppy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to hear about 
a couple of very interesting chemicals from the Amazon, uh, one that is extracted from um, uh, plants and another one that comes from a little green frog uh, from our guest Peter Gorman, who's a journalist and has been for about 30 years exploring the jungles of the Amazon for potentially active physiological compounds. You're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. One of the most fascinating guests I think uh, we've had on this show uh, promises to be Peter Gorman. Well, uh, Peter is a sort of an explorer, and he's going to fill us uh, in a little bit about uh, his explorations, but he's an award-winning investigative journalist, and he has covered many, many stories from the streets of Bombay to the heart of Manhattan to the Mexican border and beyond. And in addition to his career in journalism, uh, Peter Gorman has spent part of the last 30 years in the Amazon jungle in Peru where he has been a collector of artifacts for the American Museum of Natural History in New York, herpetological specimens for for a research institute in the University of Rome, and uh, he's interested in medicinal plants for shaman pharmaceuticals. He's the father of three, and uh, he splits his time between uh, Joshua, Texas, where he's staff writer for the Fourth Worth Weekly, and that's a, a newspaper, obviously, and Peru, where he takes small groups out into the deep jungle for healing, with ayahuasca and the indigenous matzis medicines, sapo and nunu. He's the author of the book, Ayahuasca in My Blood, 25 Years of Medicine Dreaming. That is some career, Peter. How did you get into this business of trying traditional drugs in the Amazon? A total accident. Um, tell you the truth, I love the jungles of Mexico so much that the woman I lived with at the time, and lived with for nearly 20 years, uh, bought me a book called Headhunters of the Amazon, which was written in the turn of the century, last century, 1896 or so. And um, that book talked about a river called the Yavari, which is the border of Brazil and Peru. And I was fascinated. I really, really said, okay, I have to go there. Now, she bought me the book to scare me off, but... Obviously, she also bought me the book knowing it was going to turn me on. And I spent two or three years going to Peru before I managed to get to the Rio Yavari, um, which was, as the book described, just an absolute wild wilderness. Um, yeah, just, just an amazing, amazing place. So I first went to Peru with a couple of friends on the agreement that I'll go to the mountains with you if you'll come to the jungle with me. And we met a fellow who became a teacher of mine, Moises Torres Vienna, a teacher of jungle survival. Um, but on the first trip with my friends, at, we went out on the river by ourselves. Uh, we just caught a big boat, and we ended up in a town called Ricana, and we brushed this little guy off. And when we returned, he was waiting at the boat, saying, now are you ready to go to the jungle? And we said, uh... We've already been. He said, no, you weren't. You went to Ricane. Everybody's afraid of the jungle. They're afraid of the Indians out there. They're afraid of jaguars. Nobody took you to the jungle. We know that. And uh, so we went out with him. And he ended up bringing us to a man who served us a medicine called ayahuasca, which we had never heard of. This is 1984. And it was such a revelatory experience to me that I thought, number 
one, I have to do that medicine again. And secondly, I have to spend more time with this crazy little jungle guide uh, who's teaching me about uh, jungle survival because he knows more than he's telling. And we became fast friends, and I began going down once a year for a month or two. And um, So you're sort of recharging your batteries with ayahuasca? I wouldn't say I was recharging my batteries. It was... Um, on, it, I, I don't know if your readers are ready for this. I'm sure your listeners are ready for this. On the first time I did it, without knowing what it was or what was going to happen, two things occurred. One, people generally vomit when they use ayahuasca at some point. But when this cordendero, the healer who served it to us, vomited, it was the most beautiful sound I'd ever heard. It was like a waterfall going up the waterfall, not down, and then finally coming out. And it was just the most gorgeous thing. And secondly, at one point, I suddenly realized there's a bird up there, and suddenly I was kind of in the bird. I don't know how to say it other than I associated with the bird, and I'd never done that. I never thought of that. It wasn't my style. You know, I'm in New Yorker. I'm pretty straightforward with things. And in the association with the bird, it suddenly occurred to me as we're flying, every separate feather, has every feather had a separate muscle to move it. You know what I mean? It's, and it was like, holy moly, I was feeling things I'd never felt before, because um, I felt like I was, me and the bird were one, even though I was still me. And at one point, the bird fell off the face of the world, headed straight down towards this shimmering little blue-green spot, and plucked a fish out of the water, and bit it in half, and swallowed. And me, Peter Gorman, choked. <laughs> and then, uh, which kind of brought me back to reality, because I really was choking badly. Uh, on a fish, a bird that didn't exist had eaten in a dream that I was having. Um, Did you see how the ayahuasca was prepared? Not that first time, no. And subsequently? And I, and I had never heard of it. Yeah. Subsequently, no you idea. saw? What? Subsequently, you saw how it was prepared? Oh, yes. I mean, I've, hundreds and hundreds of times at this point, yeah. So how is it actually prepared? Well, I mean, you collect a vine, called, uh, the Banisteriopsis copy vine, and then you collect leaves, Psychotria viridis, and you only collect the males, and the males have tiny spines uh, on the upper portion of the, of the back of the leaf. And um, you could, the males, and, and then you smash the vine and layer the vine, smash vine, with Psychotria viridis leaves, and then cook it for 8, 12, 14 hours. And depending on who is making it, different add plant, additional plants will be added. A little tree bark. If you want to get particularly deep, there might be a bark from uh, a very caustic tree, uh, like the ubos tree could be added to it. Um, if you want to investigate the light and dark sides of your personality, uh, or, or the Corindero wants you to investigate that, he might add Lupuna Negro, which is a tree of light and dark. Um, but it's basically the first two ingredients, Banisteriopsis copy and Psychotria viridis, and just cook them down from, you know, 10 gallons to 1 gallon, and then pour that off and do that again, maybe do that a third time, and then cook what's left down to maybe a quart. So you might start with 15 or 20 gallons and end up with one quart of medicine. And then you drink, you drink that. And then you drink an ounce, two ounces. And, Have you ever had a bad experience? 
I've had very difficult experiences, not bad. One of the things that the uh, that particular medicine does is it it often brings up things that you have done or that have been done to you that caused you a lot of pain and things that sometimes you've buried very deeply. And uh, that's painful. That's difficult to see, you know, when you were 16 years old, first starting dating, and you cheated on your girlfriend, and then you lied to her about it, you know. You've never done anything like that. I, I, don't, I was such a little Irish kid from New York, I didn't even, you know. But I'm saying even you just kiss somebody else, you know what I'm saying? Um, and certainly, and then I've had my heart broken as well. But I would say, let's go back further. What if you had, I mean, it's most of us, and pardon me if I'm over the line, just cut me off. Most of us were breastfed as children for a day, a week, a month, six months. But one day it was cut off. So one day, prior to us being able to think linearly or explain it or ask, what did I do wrong? One day, you're allowed this beautiful love whenever you want, and the next day your hand is slapped. No. That's an immense pain. Wow, that's a remarkable way to tell that story. Anyway, hang on for a minute. We've got to take a break, and we'll come back and chat about uh, another interesting Amazon product, and this one comes from a frog. Uh, my guest is Peter Gorman, an Amazon explorer and a writer. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. In studio with me is uh, Jonathan Jerry, and online is Peter Gorman, who has, for parts of the last 30 years, explored the Amazon for various herbs and uh, tree barks and uh, had some hallucinogenic experiences, uh, absolutely fascinating stories. And uh, the reason I connected to, to Peter is because I had written an article about Cambo, which is the use of a frog extract. And, of course, I never had any real experience with it. I just wrote about the science of it. And uh, Peter wrote me an email about his adventures, and I thought, gee, why not go to the horse's mouth to learn all about this? We got the horse on the line. Peter, yes. tell us about Cambo. Well, Cambo is a uh, the Brazilian word for uh, frog sweat medicine. Basically, there's a small frog called the giant waxy uh, monkey frog. It's a tree frog. It walks very slowly. And um, it only has a couple of predators, and its primary predator is a constrictor. Uh, the constrictors live in trees, and so, and they're generally venomous. But the constrictor will take the frog into its mouth, and at that point, the frog, frightened, extrudes uh, um, kind of a gummy resin that's colloquially called frog sweat. And that resin freezes the snake and allows the frog a moment to climb out if it, if it releases it quickly enough so that the frog never enters the snake's throat where it would be crushed. Well, at some point in time, indigenous peoples, probably picking up the frogs to collect them, to eat them, throw them in a pot, um, had cuts on their hands and uh, probably got 
you know, had a reaction to that same venom, that same poison, um, protective device of the frog. And um, it, this protective device, when you take it into your system, which is done usually with a small um, a small burn and then a, you scrape the skin to expose some subcutaneous layers, and then take this frog material uh, that's been dried on a stick and then reactivated with saliva as a rule, and put that, like looks like wasabi, a little dab of wasabi mustard on your open cut. Um, and generally on the shoulders or, you know, on the upper arm. Uh, and you instantly heat up. Your, your blood begins to race. Uh, your blood pressure drops. Your blood vessels are opened up extraordinarily. And, um, and, uh, and you really wonder why you did this, particularly <laughs> if it's more than your first time, why you did this again. But... In the end, after about 15 or 20 minutes of heart racing, heart racing, heart racing, faster, 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 you think you're going to die, you don't die. And in fact, an hour or so, two hours later, you suddenly realize, wait a minute, I'm hearing better, I'm seeing better, I feel stronger, I'm very clear, I'm, wow. And so as a hunting uh hunting device, this is a very important thing for peoples in the jungle who depended on hunting uh, or depended on long walking. Um, um, the chemicals have been broken down, what's in it, and many, many of them are um, bioactive peptides. There's, uh, I mean, some of them work on the smooth stomach tissue, some work on your adrenal gland, some uh, vasodilators. Um, one of them can jump the blood-brain barrier and piggyback other peptides in there, which is why science is very interested in this these days. Um, it's 15 minutes of excruciating pain that in Peru they would say, Bale la pena, worth the pain. Now, there are practitioners around, around the world, right, not necessarily, you know, uh, medically adept, who, who use this, and they have clients, and they um, administer the, the frog extract. And uh, It has taken hold. Now, in 1986 was the first time I did it, and my report was the first report, by chance, by chance, I, you know, it just happened to be, the first report of someone actually doing this material. Um, and that report got to uh, Victoria Resparmer at the University of Rome, and um, who had worked on these frogs but didn't know that they had ever been used by humans. And he um, investigated them, published several papers about them, and slowly uh, it began to take off. And now there are probably a couple of thousand people around the world administering this medicine to people. Yeah. What are the risks? I think because most of the peptides are bioactive, you know, your body will shut down when it's had enough of them, okay? Uh, you won't overdose on it. But let's say a woman's pregnant. Uh, the smooth muscle tissue will, will cause a miscarriage. That would be a very horrible thing. Uh, and that's one of the ways it's used down in the jungle um, to cause an abortion. But it's a very slow and painful way to do it. 
risk would be since the a lot of toxins are released from your body um, if a woman was breastfeeding would any of those toxins or any of the material itself end up you know in the breast milk of the woman if someone uh, I mean I think there's a lot of risks in you know I mean most people can get served and it's fine um, but if someone has a seizure disorder and suddenly you know Bobby Schmo is just saying, you know, I serve everybody for 200 bucks a pop, and he's never dealt with someone who's had a grand mal, and someone maybe has a grand mal whether under the influence. You know, what do you do? How do you handle that? Do you know how to do that? You know, what if somebody's 89 years old with a bad heart, and you think, oh, this cures heart stuff, but maybe he's got a bad heart, and it's, you know. So I, they're really... A, to the best of anyone's knowledge, there's no known deaths attributable particularly to this material. Do you know of any uh, people, practitioners anywhere, who are making uh, what we would call outrageous claims on its behalf, that it can cure cancer, that it can cure diabetes, or, or whatever? I think outrageous claims are made frequently. Uh, I do think this is a, really a, a wonderful, wonderful medicine. Um, but, you know, I I would hesitate. There are lots of medicines in the jungle that can help shrink tumors, that can boost uh, your white T-cell count, you know, to give you strength to be able to deal with illnesses. I'm always very sketchy when it comes to this will cure. Would you be concerned if one of your kids tried it? My kids have all tried it. They will? They, they have. Or they have tried it. Oh, when they were 10 years old, 12 years old, yeah. Yeah, and... I served them. You served them, and uh, no problems, nothing happened untoward? No, no. I'll tell you, that one of my oldest boy was a heck of an athlete, and uh, a couple of times he needed to heal, you know, injuries, muscle injuries and stuff, and he just knew this would work. And... Uh, at one point, he was playing in a semi-pro league, and he came and said, Dad, I'm just really tired today. Just, you know, give me a couple of hits. So I, I burned him twice. And uh, he went and played, came back maybe two weeks later. He said, let's do that again. And then he came back and said, Dad, never give it to me again before a game because it's cheating. I'm too fast. I'm too strong. I see too clearly. Everybody else is moving in slow motion. And I know it's not, you know, I mean... It's not a steroid. He wouldn't be caught for steroids. But he said, Dad, it is way stronger than any steroid. Okay, hold on to that thought. I have another right. question I want to ask you. We're chatting with Peter Gorman, who's an Amazon explorer and a writer, and was telling us about uh, partaking of frog sweat with its hallucinogenic and energizing properties. You're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. On the line from Texas is Peter Gorman. We're talking about experiences in the jungle, and you were telling us about how your son had uh, partaken of cambo, which is this frog sweat. Uh, you burn the arm a little bit, and then you put this uh, frog excretion on there and has certainly interesting effects and you were saying that that he was energized by this and he thought that he shouldn't be using it because it was cheating in a football game right 
Is this, I, let me correct one yeah. thing just before you, you cut away, was that you mentioned the uh, energizing and hallucinogenic. There was no hallucinogen with, with this material. No, no visions, nothing like that? No, 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 no. 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 Okay, so... I, it, I will say yeah. this. Westerners tend to ascribe spirituality to almost everything we do. So certainly some people would say, oh, I was there. I was talking to the frog. I was this, I was that. You know, I think, yeah, sure. Is there anything illegal about this, like in, in your country, in the U.S.? No. No, so any, anyone can do this. And do, do, do they do it in the U.S.? Sure, sure. I know there's tons and tons of practitioners, and there's dozens of websites devoted to this. Um, How easy is it to, to get the material? I don't know that they're getting good material over the internet, and I always caution people against doing that because they're having cases where people in Peru or Brazil will use egg yolks on a stick and dry that and sell it as cambo or sapo. There are cases where people will put candle wax. I mean, you know, uh, uh, this is a real serious medicine. And it should not be taken lightly. It is not something you do mm-hmm. uh, for fun. It is not something everybody should do. I mean, there are limitations. Um, when you uh, when you did it yourself, you 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 were out there catching the frog and seeing so that when it was. I first a- did it. I was in a friend of mine, a man who became my friend. My first visit to Pepe, a matzah's head man, and I was pointed things in one of his wives' huts. He had several wives, and so each one had their own hut. And uh, I was just pointing to things on a rainy day, trying to make a little dictionary of some things. And I pointed to this little bag above the fire, which is where people in the Amazon region tend to keep medicines so that they stay dry and, and, uh, you know, they're way over the fire, so they're not getting hot. They're just staying dry, not rotting. And uh, he immediately pulled it down, grabbed my arm in a lock, Vice grip, took a little twig from the fire, burned it, spit on the stick, turned it into a little goop, put it on the burn, and my heart started to race. And I uh, had no idea what it was, and I turned to Moises and said, what's that? And he said, I never saw that before. And the next thing you know, I kind of fell down and uh, started to vomit and defecate, and, I, and they kind of pushed me out of the house and the little kids, lots and lots of little kids, started, like, gently kicking me. And in my mind, I thought, oh, my God, they're just checking if I'm dead yet to eat me. They poisoned me. They killed me. <clears throat> and um, I woke up maybe two hours later, and uh, I heard a conversation. I turned to see the people I thought were right behind me. It turned out they were completely across the encampment, maybe 40, 50 feet away. And it sounded as though they were right next to me. And I looked up in the trees, and I suddenly realized, oh, my goodness, I'm not seeing a wall of green. I'm seeing hundreds of different shades of green, which is kind of allowing me to see through the green, not actually physically see through the green, but to see it as much much more three-dimensionally. So I was able to see some monkeys, not at the front of the tree, but, you know, eight feet in on the limbs. When I realized, oh, my God, my hearing's better, my eyesight's better, I started to do some push-ups. I was like, gee, willikers, I'm really, what's this? 
And uh, it was only after I'd done the medicine again and again that I realized, you know, this this is what this does. This is why they use it. And they all laughed when they, you know, saw my, uh, you know, the burn marks and the, my scabs. And then they began to show me theirs, the Matzes men. And they had hundreds of scars on their arms. And then over the course of the next year or two, uh, I took it with them when they were going hunting, when we were going to do a long walk, um, and surprisingly found myself able to kind of almost keep up with them. Uh, you know, you don't get thirsty, you don't get hungry, you have an adrenal drip going on for several days, um, and uh, not a fight or flight, but a simple, if you need more, boom, you've got the strength. Um, just like a little drip. Have you heard of any athletes in the U.S., uh, like pro athletes, uh, using this? You know, let's say no. Although, Are we just saying no? Or <laughs> well, in other words, do I know any personally? Yeah. No. No. But you think it's happening? I think any athlete, you know, who wanted just a little bit of an edge would, you know, knowing they couldn't get caught, they couldn't be, you know, yeah. punished for using it, wouldn't would no. be dope not to use it. In the pictures that I've seen and in the films, uh, you're always equipped with a bucket because uh, uh, the first uh, symptom that you get is this projectile vomiting. Is Well, the, the, here's the thing. Now, Cambo style, the, the way the Matzes did it, the indigenous Matzes that I worked with and still work with, they don't drink any water beforehand or drink any... They don't make a point of putting liquids in their stomachs. Mm -hmm. Cambo style, same medicine... But on the Brazilian side of the Avery River, those indigenous groups tend to drink copious amounts of water prior to using the medicine. And Westerners have taken that to new heights with some practitioners saying you can't eat for 24 hours beforehand and you must drink two liters of water in half an hour before we give you the medicine, which forces you to vomit, you know? And I, it's just a different style. I wasn't used to that style. So we don't use buckets around my house. Okay. Peter, we have just one minute left. One last question I want to ask you. I've seen the pictures of some of your adventures, and there's uh -huh. this one picture where you are holding this this anaconda, which looks like it could eat uh, half a squadron of soldiers. Uh, right. What was that story? Um, the Matzes were... Uh, working a new area of the forest to get some bark to use as flooring. And, and, and there were two anacondas in that area, in those, in little, uh, um, streams and creeks back there. And one of them went ahead and ate one or two of their dogs, hunting dogs. And so they borrowed my shotgun and blew its head off. And then we held it up. Yeah, well, that was one massive snake. It was about 22 feet, 5 inches, I think. I measured it using a dollar bill. Right. Well, one of the, the frogs uh, that is used for Campbell would not have much of a chance with that guy. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, nothing has a chance with a good-sized anaconda. <laughs> right. Okay, Peter, thanks very much for those fascinating stories. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me And uh, your book, uh, Sapo in My Soul, The Matzis Frog Medicine, uh, I imagine is available on Amazon. Yes. 
and uh, I I can hardly wait to read it because I think it is going to be as fascinating as uh, your stories that you've told here today. Thanks very much. That was Peter Gorman, who's an Amazon explorer. And uh, we're smack out of exploration time today. Uh, We will be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.